So if you've been coming in October and November, you know that we're almost at the end of a series called Experiencing God, and Experiencing God is one of many series in September through August of next year, um, series, big picture series called Experiencing God Unreserved, which means all in, fully. And so we're on week six of a seven-week series called Experiencing God, which is based on a book by Henry Blackaby called Experiencing God. The first week, I shared this simple drawing with you, and I listed the seven um, realities. First is God's work. This is a sort of a nutshell. God's work, relationship, invitation, God speaks, crisis of belief, adjust, obey, and experience. Now, if you um, use the outline, it's in there, and you'll see the expanded version of that. And, and this is what I love about being an American. You can get that outline out and follow along, or you can just say, I don't do that kind of stuff. But I will say this, note takers are history makers. Okay. All right, so the first, I'm going I'm to expand on these seven. The first um, principle of experiencing God, the first reality, is God is always at work around you. The second reality is God pursues a continuing love relationship with you that is real and personal. Third, God invites you to become involved with Him in His work. Number four, God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church to reveal Himself, His purposes, and His ways. Number five, God, God's invitation for you to work with Him always leads you to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. Number six, you must make major adjustments in your life to join God in what He is doing. And then number seven, you come to know God by experience as you obey Him and He accomplishes His work through you. So last weekend, Pastor Brad walked through you through what it looks like to live out number five. It is that God's invitation for you to work with Him always leads to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. I hope you were here because he talked about the reality of what it's going to mean to his family to be obedient to this. And what we know from that message is God really doesn't care if we're comfortable. And God doesn't want us to wake up in the morning, go plop on the couch and watch TV all day. He also doesn't want us to get up in the morning, go to school or go to work day after day, week after week, year after year, doing the same old thing without thinking about Him and His purposes in our lives. You see, believing in God is not an add-on to our lives. It's the central reality of our lives. In fact, being in worship together is something that's not one of the multiple things we get to do as Americans, but it's part of who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. And back in the summer, we did a series, a long series, called uh, Mountain Monologues, and it was about the Sermon on the Mount. And here's what Jesus said about where God should be in our lives. He said this, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and everything you need will be given to you. And back in the 1800s, a Danish philosopher named Søren Kierkegaard responded to that statement by saying, if you don't seek first the kingdom of God, you won't seek the kingdom of God. So that's what we're talking about today as we turn to reality number six. You must make adjustments in your life to join God in what he is doing, and so must I. If Jesus Christ is Lord, which means owner in our lives, and if he's Savior, which means he came and lived a perfect life that none of us could live, died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, rose from the dead and went back to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit, then he has a right to challenge us, a right to challenge us to grow and to change. Today's take-home point makes that clear, and so for those of you who are new or watching online for the first time, um, the take-home point is the one point that we'll be making from Scripture today that we want to take home, pray about it, and live it out in the week ahead. So here it is. Once you have come to believe God, 
You demonstrate your faith by what you do. Notice the order. Once you have come to believe God, you demonstrate your faith by what you do. I'm not saying that we get to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord by what we do. I'm not saying that we gain salvation. That is, we get to leave the the life of sin and all of that by what we do. What we do doesn't really matter in that regard. It's what Jesus has already done. You know, all the world religions, it's about what we do. Except for Christianity, it's about what Jesus has already done. So Jesus died and rose again to give us a new life. And once we receive the new life, that's when we start to live differently. We start to do things differently. In fact, Jesus' half-brother James said this about those who thought, I just need faith, I don't really need to do anything. Here's what he said. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? People don't always believe what we say, but they do believe what we do. Many professed Christians talk a good game when it comes to following Jesus, but they don't actually do much to follow Jesus. They don't make the radical adjustments that are necessary to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Some busy themselves with activity, but as Pastor Brad told us, this is a quote from Henry Blackaby. It's a powerful quote last week when we're talking about the crisis of belief. It's a powerful quote today when we're talking about making radical adjustments. It says this, what our world often sees are devoted, committed Christians serving God to the best of their ability, but they are not seeing God. They don't witness anything happening that can only be explained in terms of God's activity. Why? Because we aren't attempting anything that only God can do. You see, when we either seek comfort as Christians and believe that Jesus died so we can have an easy life, or when we actually get really busy doing everything that we can do in our own power, people don't see God at work. Because it doesn't take any of God's power to do what we can do. It does take God's power to do supernatural things. That's really the God we serve is a supernatural being who created everything. And he wants to work through us. That's what this whole series has been pointing to, that we get to join him in his work. It's his work, and his work is supernatural. So in today's focus scripture, Jesus is going to remind us what it means to follow him. And he's going to tell us that it will take radical adjustments in our lives to do so. Before we turn to Luke chapter 9, verse 23 and 24, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you love us, that you did not reject us when we rejected you. God, we thank you that you sent Jesus to live a perfect life so that we can have salvation in his name and through his sacrifice, through his blood shed on the cross. Today, what we pray is that your Holy Spirit will fill us and will speak to us, to our spirits, our souls, and even our bodies, Lord, that we will not only understand the truth, but that we will live it out in your power this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you do have a Bible, it's Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, short reading. And if you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen. Then Jesus said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. If you've ever been part of a church or you've ever read the Bible very much, you've probably heard these words. But even if you've never heard these words before, it's pretty easy to tell. Jesus is expecting an all-in, unreserved commitment if we want to experience God 
in our lives. If we want to be Jesus' follower, it says we must turn from our selfish ways. It isn't if we want to be Jesus' followers, it'd be a good idea if we turn from our selfish ways. He said we must turn from our selfish ways. Older English translations say we must deny ourselves. So either we turn from our selfish ways, we deny ourselves. Either way, it means that we're going to stop being selfish and we're going to follow Jesus. And let's be honest, we can't do that. Let's just be honest. That's the human predicament. When we try to do the unselfish thing, we find ourselves doing the selfish thing. When we try to do the unselfish thing, maybe we succeed for a moment and then we fall. And, or maybe we actually succeed for a little while and we start to go, oh, look at me, I can succeed. And then that's pride. And once again, we've failed. But Jesus gives us the answer. He truly did mean for us to turn from our selfish ways. He wasn't trying to you know, make us upset, frustrated that he wants us to do something we can't do. He gives us the solution in the next statement. He says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. The harder we try to live good lives, the, more, the harder we're going to fall when we fall. Not if we fall, but when we fall. But what Jesus is saying to us is, the only way to do what Jesus wants us to do is to give up. To give up and let Him give us a new life. We need to lose our lives. That's what Jesus was saying, spiritually speaking. We need to put ourselves to death and then let the Holy Spirit come in. That's what Jesus was talking about when he said all of us need to be born again. He said it's a spiritual birth, not a new physical birth, but a spiritual birth. And we change from the inside out by the Holy Spirit's power. And then and only then with that new life will we be able to live the lives of self-sacrifice and selflessness that he created us to live. Now, even though it's a gift, it is so challenging to do that. And that's why my favorite statement, quote, outside of the Bible, is this one by G.K. Chesterton. He said, the Christian life has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. Pretty much every week or every other week or so here at New Life, we say this. The Christian life is simple, but it's not Huh, you've been listening all these years, huh? Makes me feel so good. I can take my nap in peace this afternoon. Okay, so, so, the Christian life is simple, but it's not easy. The Christian life hasn't been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. And so, when we read Jesus' words, he's challenging us to give up the trying, to do it ourselves, to give it over to him, and to let him give us the new life. Turn away from our selfishness and turn to him and let him come in and take over, which is why the Apostle Paul later in his life could say, it's no longer I, but Christ who lives in me. So we live in a culture that calls us to indulge ourselves, to pamper ourselves, to avoid pain and seek pleasure. Jesus called us to turn from that and to live a life of selflessness. In his name, once we have heard once we have heard God speak to us in our lives, once we've weathered that crisis of belief that Pastor Brad talked about last week, which isn't a crisis of do we believe in God or not, but a crisis of do we believe that God has told us to do something, then we have to ask ourselves, are we actually going to do it? Are we going to make some adjustments? And here's my question for all of us this morning. Have we made, have you made a single adjustment, a radical adjustment in your life in the past week because you heard God say something to you in the Bible or through prayer or through your circumstances or through the other people in the church talking to you. Have you in the last week given 
of your time, your talent, treasure, or touch in a way that was a sacrifice, that you felt it. And actually, you had to give up something that you wanted to do with your time or your talents or your treasure or touch because you did that in the name of Jesus instead. Either last week or this week, depending on when you got the mailing, if you are on the mailing list of New Life, you received a letter from me. And in that letter, I I outlined a new motto, I guess, and rallying cry for new life. It's not a new direction. It's the same direction. We've been going for 18 and a half years, but it's simply a way of saying it succinctly. It said this, each one, everyone, are you ready to do whatever it takes? And in that letter, what I pointed out is that if each one of us, each of you, and me, if each one of us gets involved in doing what Jesus created us to do in the power of the Holy Spirit, if each one of us will give generously of our time, our talents, our treasure and touch, then eventually every one of us, if each one of us is, that would be every one of us is, but the question is, are we ready to do whatever it takes to be in that situation? The day before I left on my trip to the place that shall not be named uh, in public uh, because it's on the internet, uh, I had a little conversation with a local business person. And she asked me, how did that trunk or treat thing go? I said, well, we had 1,550 people attend. And she said, wow. She said, is that more than normal? And I said, well, last year it was 900, and this year it was 1,550 people. And she said, wow, it's so amazing what your church does for our community. And it is amazing what this church does for our community. But that's just the tip of the iceberg of what we do, not only for our community, but our region, our nation, and the world. And actually... It's just the tip of the iceberg of what we really can do if we all let the Holy Spirit work in our lives and each one of us does whatever radical adjustment he calls us to make so that we can live that new life in the power of the Holy Spirit and send us out to the ends of the earth. I also said in that letter that as Americans, we can fall into the cultural tendency to be consumers, to make life about what we get, what we use, and how well others serve or meet our needs. But Jesus turned all that on his head. I'm going to read the same passage we read from Luke, but I'm going to read it from Mark. He said, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. You see, when people come to a church, to an event like Candyville, and they come and there's free candy for everyone, free food for everyone, free games for everyone. I heard it over and over again as I was walking around. People were saying, is this game free? Is that game free? Is this really free? Can I give a donation? Is there a way I can, can I do something? And it, fireworks is the same thing. A couple years ago, I had this argument with a guy at the fireworks. I mean, I didn't argue. He was arguing with me. You know I me, mean? I never argue about anything. But anyway, um, he said, he said to me, you cannot do this for nothing. You can't, you have to charge something. And if you just charge $5 for every person, that wouldn't be a big deal. Everybody would be glad to pay it. And then you, you see what I'm saying? And I said, yeah, I see what you're saying. And we're not going to do that. We're going to give it away for free. And he said, he said, nobody does something for nothing. Jesus does. In fact, Jesus did everything for nothing. Jesus didn't charge us when he died on the cross and shed his innocent blood to pay the penalty for our sins. In fact, Jesus sent his disciples out when he was still on the earth. And he told them to go out and preach and teach and cast out demons and heal the sick. And he said, freely you have received, freely give. So in other words, Jesus, following Jesus means giving as freely as we have received. It's a process for each of us. That thing about giving freely as we have received, nobody does that 100% the first day. Like you accept Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you commit your life to him, and then 100% like Jesus. No, it doesn't work that way. 
It doesn't work that way in any of our lives. It's a process. It's a lifelong process. And, and as we've said so many times here at New Life, you know, the Holy Spirit is inside of us as soon as we're born again, but the old nature, the sinful nature is still in there. And there's this battle going on, and that battle is going on for the rest of our lives. The battle never goes away, which is why it's hard, which is why it's simple but not easy. You see, the Holy Spirit is God, and, and we're just human. So if we had a battle, you know that the Holy Spirit would win But the Holy Spirit only wins when we give up our selfish ways. When we deny ourselves, then the Holy Spirit wins and our lives change. And and that's God's plan. Now, here's the thing. We can merely exist. We know that. We can. We can get through life just, you know, by the skin of our teeth. Or we can pursue a life of pleasure and joy and happiness in our own way. We know that. We can do all of those things. But Jesus offered us something radically different than that. Jesus offered us the opportunity to belong to him and to join him in his work. We talked about that when we talked about the the third reality that God invites you to join him in his work. And he said, God said, we are supposed to be his ambassadors. That we're supposed to do his work in the world. And we make, we make God's appeal to other people. He does it through us. And here's the truth. The truth is that this life, this life is short. And yet, in this short life, we are preparing for eternity. If this life is all there is, then it might make sense to just merely exist. It, it might make sense to wake up and sort of just get by, slide through life. If this life is all there is, it might even make sense just to go out and do every pleasurable thing that we can do. But if this life is just a precursor to the next life that is forever, and and forever we're going to either be with Jesus in heaven or or we're going to be separated from Jesus in hell, then it makes incredible sense to make any radical adjustment that we can make in order to live the life that Jesus created us to live. Amen? Amen. All right. We got a few amens, and Henry isn't even here this service. The last service, I mean, Henry always, amen, right? Okay, so... The only person that I can change is me. The only person you can change is you. And what I found out about me, I can't even change me unless the Holy Spirit's at work. Unless the Holy Spirit's inside working on me, I won't change. And and the reality is if each one of us, each one of us, you're going to hear that a lot, each one of us, lets the Holy Spirit work in our lives. And eventually every one of us lets the Holy Spirit work in our lives. They're going to feel it. People are going to feel it here in Saxonburg, in our region, our nation, and to the ends of the earth. And that is Jesus' plan. It's actually his only plan. His only plan is for his followers to actually follow him, to actually give up our selfish ways, deny ourselves, take up our crosses, and lose our lives in serving him so that we gain our lives for now and forever. And not only that, everybody in the world who sees that happening has the same opportunity to experience that new life in Jesus Christ You know, there are people who think that Christianity was made up by the first century church. Do you realize how ludicrous that idea is? What kind of a human being would come up with the idea of a selfless God? A God who only cares about us, who gave everything, created the whole universe for our pleasure, who who created us so that we could love him, And yes, serve Him, but serve Him in a relationship that's real and personal. And then when we screwed that all up, He came here as a human being. 
And he lived a perfect life. And he, he died for us, for the people that ignored him, that don't believe in him, the people who argued with him, the people who arrested him, the people who crucified him. You really think human beings would come up with an idea like that? It's absolutely contrary to human nature to come up with such an idea. Many have suggested that the biggest argument against Jesus Christ is Christians. I would suggest that the biggest argument against Jesus Christ is not Christians, but is Christians living lukewarm, half-hearted lives. That's what the biggest argument against Jesus is. Because in history, since Jesus came to the earth, the people who have made the, the biggest changes, the greatest changes, have been people who have been experiencing God all in, who have been experiencing God unreserved, who have lived for Him and in His name. And that's the way it is. And here's the, here's the amazing thing. We're all just one yes away from being that person. Just one yes from being the person who has a new life that has, has power to extend to the world the love, the truth, the grace, and the goodness of God. Each of us can do that. And when each one of us does that, eventually every one of us does that. And we were designed, we were designed to be God's ambassadors in the world. That's what God created us to be and to do. And as we live that out, the ripple effect starts here in Saxonburg, but it extends from country to country, well, city to city, nation to nation, and then to the ends of the earth. So we are empowered to be witnesses here, there, and everywhere. And the only question is, will we do whatever it takes? Will we do in our own lives, will each of us do in our own lives whatever it takes? When each one of us does everything that Jesus calls us to do, when each one of us does, then eventually every one of us does, and it only takes one thing from you and from me. Everything. It's all he asks. It's all he ever asks is to give up our selfishness. It takes one radical adjustment today, right now, and maybe another radical adjustment a couple hours from now, and certainly another radical adjustment tomorrow. Those radical adjustments, not one radical adjustment, <laughs> because once we find one area where we've given and surrendered over to God, there will be another one, and then there will be another one, and we have to give over each of those areas of our lives. And over time, we start to be more and more like Jesus. The Christian life has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. If you're here and you're one of the each one who wants to do what we've just been talking about here for the last 25 minutes, then here's the next step. The next step that we're going to take this week. I will demonstrate my faith in God by adjusting my life to join Him in what He is doing around me. I will demonstrate my faith in God by adjusting my life to join him in what he's doing around me. So what's that going to look like? Well, it's going to look like a thousand different things because there's a thousand different ones of us. You know, some, someone who's in school tomorrow, might, it might mean going over and sitting down with that person that nobody ever sits with at lunchtime. Maybe this afternoon, one of you is sitting there at your home and you're thinking about um, somebody that's in a personal care home and you, you've been going to go visit them, but you just haven't. It, it might just look like that. It might look like actually moving yourself and your family to another county or another state or another country. It could, I mean, it really does span that spectrum from tiny little things that are really radical in your life to major adjustments that are, would be radical in anybody's life. But, but each of us knows, I mean, right now I'm pretty sure you know there's an adjustment that God is putting into your mind because of the scripture you've read, because of the prayers you've been praying, because of the circumstances you're going through. Or just because of what somebody here at New Life has told you. And uh, the thing is, if you've never trusted Jesus 
as Savior and Lord in your life, then what I just said is total nonsense. Or it's totally non-attainable. Because only when the Holy Spirit is in our lives, only when Jesus is Lord and Savior in our lives, is it even possible to think about such things. So maybe you're here, you're watching online, and you say, this all makes sense to me. I really, I want that kind of life in my life. So I have a prayer I want you to look at. It says, Heavenly Father, I admit I have not turned myself from my selfish ways to follow Jesus. Forgive me and make me new. Fill me with the Holy Spirit that I may live to your glory, honor, and praise. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if that's your desire, then I'm just going to ask you to pray that prayer with me as I pray it again. Heavenly Father, I admit I have not turned from my selfish ways to follow Jesus. Forgive me and make me new. Fill me with the Holy Spirit that I may live to your glory, honor, and praise. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Each one of us is part of every one of us. And when each one of us does what God created us to do, and each one of us is what God created us to be, not only every one of us here, but every one of us to the ends of the earth is going to experience the power of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you believe in us. And God, my prayer is simple, that those who just prayed this prayer to make you Lord and Savior in their life through your Son, Jesus, that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit and let them live that new life today. God, I pray for all of us, those who have made that commitment at some point, that you will empower us anew with your Holy Spirit, that in our lives we'll take one aspect of our life and we'll make the radical adjustment, small or big, that will draw us to be more what Jesus created us to be, what you created us to be, God. God, let your Holy Spirit work in us to your glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.